0: Hey there, and welcome to something a little bit different. This is a Polmcast Little. And a Polmcast Little, our idea is that there are some topics that we really want to talk about that are high yield that really aren't going to take that long to talk about. So it's a little. I mean, I guess that kind of works. Does that work? I'm good with it. I'm cool. Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into our first Palmcast Little. This one is, how do you set up the room for a patient to be intubated if you're not credentialed for airway management? And obviously, this is more intended for many of our APP colleagues, but I think it'll be high yield for anybody who wants to know what to do in the room while you're waiting for somebody anesthesia or the critical care attending or the emergency medicine
1: physician to come in and tube the patient. I can't tell you how phenomenal it is when you'll run into a nurse that says, hey, I think my patient needs to be intubated, and they've already walked through difficult airway predictors. Said, Last time he was intubated, everything went smoothly down in the OR. It's just wonderful. I've already got the pressors ready, the fluids. It's just great.
0: So the first thing that you need to do is obviously decide that the patient needs to be intubated. And this could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but John, can you talk about the general indications for why a patient would need to be
1: intubated? Well, one of my favorites, this is going to be ad hoc from Merino, is a patient should be intubated when you're thinking about intubating them. What does that mean? So really, we've all been staring at that patient who doesn't look so good and it starts creeping into the back of your mind, maybe I should intubate that patient. If you're thinking about intubating the patient, You should most likely intubate the patient.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And all the time, I will see some of our new hires kind of waffling on that decision overnight. And nine times out of 10, that results in us having to come back and reassess the patient. Oh, maybe we'll do some high flow. And oh, they're desaturating. So an hour later, you come back and then upgrade to BiPAP. And then two hours later, now you find yourself, number one, with the patient looking a lot worse. And number two, you spent three hours in and out of this patient's room. And now you're deciding to intubate them versus you just intubated them when you decided I should probably intubate them three hours ago. So, what are the general indications for intubating a
1: patient? Well, there's several different algorithms you can use, ABCDEF versions that are popular, but essentially it's things like altered mental status, severe hypoxemia or hypercapnia, expected clinical course. What that means is if your patient's in three pressor septic shock, it's probably worth going ahead and intubating them, probably before they got to three pressor septic shock. What else? Well, you want
0: to do a lot of prediction. You you want to make sure that you're intubating ahead of the curve. And this sort of goes with our previous statement about intubating when you're thinking about intubating. Uh, You're going to have a lot safer conditions tubing the patient prior to them having a physiologically difficult airway when they're more hypotensive and more hypoxic and more altered. So generally, earlier is often better, but there are plenty of people who are comfortable just waiting.
1: So the next step is to prepare the room. So how would you go about that, Jeremy?
0: Uh, So preparing the room is actually not hard to do, uh, but you need some help. And the first thing that you're going to do is recruit your colleagues I find the respiratory therapist and I have a discussion with them about the fact that we're all planning on intubating this patient and most of our respiratory therapists are awesome. They hear that and they go ahead and prepare all of the equipment necessary, set up suction and the laryngoscope, they get the video laryngoscope and so on and so forth. I also talk to the nurse and I'll ask that they get some pressors some fluids. And then if the patient does not have good IV access, this is the time that I go ahead and optimize uh, any intravenous lines that they need. The next step, which is great because it can happen passively if you do it right while you're waiting
1: to set up the whole room. And that's pre the patient. Wow. We could spend a lot of time on pre In fact, I will link a paper from John Sackles on pre a patient. It's an awesome article, but you could get really in-depth on this discussion. But suffice to say, we used to just do non-rebreather or maybe just a nasal cannula, and that's no longer really optimal. In fact, most non-rebreathers in the hospital are not true 100% non-rebreathers the way you think that they would be. And so in reality, your best bets are a non-rebreather with a nasal cannula, both turned all the way up to what we'd call, quote, flush rate or a high-flow nasal cannula the patient's already on it. Plus, just go ahead and throw a non-rebreather on that situation as well. You could use pure BVM, and BiPAP is the other one that's really great. If the patient's already on BiPAP, just leave them on BiPAP and turn them to 100%. I often get funny looks for wanting
0: to combine both a non-rebreather and a nasal cannula because why would you put a nasal cannula on the patient when they're already on non-rebreather? And the idea is really that, just like you're saying— A patient who, especially if they're tachypnic, has a non-rebreather mask on, the seal is not complete. And so room air, especially if they're ventilating 30 times a minute, is going to entrain in that mask, effectively reducing their 100% non-rebreather down to more like 85 to maybe 92 or 93 at best. And the idea of pre-oxygenation is contrary to popular belief not to just make their oxygen saturation 100%. The real money in preoxygenation is denitrogenation of the lungs. And briefly, the idea there is that when the patient goes apneic, they still have a significant reservoir of oxygen to draw from, allowing you to have safe apnea time from 30 seconds with no preoxygenation to up to eight minutes with full preoxygenation. Now, obviously, this is without disease. And so really in sicker patients, I'm sure it's much more in the range of three to five minutes, but the goal of preoxygenation is not to just improve the SAT, it's to denitrogenate the lungs. So at this point, you've decided to intubate, you've recruited all of your friends to help you, and the patient is in the process of being preoxygenated. And now you need to plan.
1: How are we planning for this, John? So when I think about plan and I think about briefing the room, and so you want to go ahead and verbalize what you're thinking about the patient to make sure the whole room is on the same page as you. It's actually a pretty big mistake to think everyone is thinking about the patient in the same way you are. And so what do we mean by that? Basically say things like this is an emergent intubation or this is not an emergent intubation, so I want to do this intubation very controlled. The patient has the following conditions that could contribute to be him being a difficult airway, either physiologically or anatomically. For example, a patient has pulmonary hypertension is a great thing to mention. And mention what you're thinking about anticipating. For example, if you're worried about the patient becoming hypotensive and the patient's already in shock, you want to go ahead and brief that to the room in advance. Right. And it's very nice to
0: get the whole room on the same mental model as you because then when things go wrong, you start to move like a well-oiled machine and it's a whole lot less chaotic. You can see the difference. It's totally palpable when the patient becomes hypotensive and it's an automatic reflex to just bump up the Levo or turn it on. Or if the sats go down, the whole room is on the same page. Hey, if it drops below 90%, we all need to tell the airway manager to come out and reoxygenate. So now that we've decided, we've prepared, we've pre-oxygenated, we've developed this shared mental model, it's time if you haven't already to go ahead and call either your attending or anesthesia or whoever will be assisting with the intubation in the room at this
1: time. And remember for this scenario, you're a non-airway manager, so you're not credentialed to intubate yourself So you want to make sure you're calling the appropriate person depending on your hospital system.
0: And what's great about this phone call is that you can say exactly what's going on with the patient. And I think it's really helpful to use sort of that James Bond moment. Hey, I'm calling you because we need to intubate this patient for hypercapnic respiratory failure. It's an emergent intubation, blah, blah, blah. I already have the room all set up for you. And then the key here I think is really helpful Do you have a preference for medications that we can draw up to be ready for you on your arrival?
1: No, that's super helpful.
0: I think it's also helpful to just have a rudimentary knowledge of the patient's last potassium so that you can know whether or not there's a contraindication to using succinylcholine. So what are you doing next? You got the room ready, your intubators coming. At this point, I like to run through something called stop made. And stop made is a checklist to make sure that you have everything ready prior to intubating. Now, if you have a formal checklist, just use that. That's fine. But I find having this working flow in my mind is nice because let's say I'm intubating somebody, you know, in the cafeteria or something where there's no standardized equipment. It's nice to know that if I run through StopMade, I will have the bare minimum tools necessary to intubate safely.
1: So run me through made.
0: So made, the S is suction. And you've all seen airway disasters when you need suction and you don't have it. T is tools. And in my mind, I like to think, do I have my laryngoscope, either direct or video? Do I have my tube? Do I have my difficult airway box, which I like to have a scalpel and a bougie? And do I have an LMA? Airway adjuncts are also helpful an OPA, an NPA, and then a PEEP valve for my BVM. O is preoxygenate. So, am I preoxygenating my patient appropriately and also denitrogenating like we talked about? And we already have that in progress. P is positioning. It's nice to have the patient up at the head of the bed in the sniffing position. And we'll throw a picture of that in our show notes. M is monitors. And this is where I often see things going wrong. This is where undetected low blood pressure happens. You want to make sure that you're cycling your blood pressure every two minutes, especially if you don't have an A-line. And what's that thing about the blood pressure and the probe being on the same arm? Don't do it. Not a good idea. Reason being, as you cut off flow to the finger where the SpO2 probe is, you get a sat of nothing because there's no blood going there. Just put them on opposite fingers proactively. So that's STOP, M, and then A is airway assistant. You want to make sure that rules are very clear and defined and we know who's going to be helping the intubator at the head of the bed. I is IV access, and we've already addressed this as we're preparing the room. And then D is drugs, which if you've communicated with the airway provider are already being drawn up and ready to go.
1: All right, so you've run through your stop made, your intubator is about ready to go, and you ask them to verbalize your plan. What are you looking for them to say here? The key, be brave.
0: Even if you're a brand new hire communicating with an attending anesthesiologist, you have to make sure that the whole room knows plan A, plan B, and plan C. Every intubator should be doing this. Plan A, if it fails, move to plan B and the whole room knows what it is. And if that fails, move to plan C. But Jeremy, this patient's
1: emergent. I don't have time for all this.
0: In the words of the great Scott Weingart, there is no such thing as an emergent intubation, which is hyperbole. But he goes on to say, There's only emergent oxygenation followed by a slow, controlled intubation. And really what he means is that you don't want to run into intubating a patient all haphazardly, not planning appropriately, and then when you run into difficulty, have mass panic and ultimately poor outcomes. What you want is the whole room to know the plan so that when things go awry, y'all move like a well-oiled machine and get the patient what they need
1: what we've seen is that once people implement this planning, preparing, stop, made, mnemonic or whatever their airway checklist is, once you started running through it several times, you can do it really quickly, 30 seconds typically. Right.
0: It really doesn't impede you getting the patient what they need, even if it's an emergent intubation. Both planning, your airway assessment can all be done very quickly. So we've prepared the room, we've planned appropriately, we've run our checklist, we've run through our plan, and the
1: patient's intubated. Sigh of relief. It's we can great. we can leave. We can go put the vent order set in. Just go to the next patient. <laughs> right.
0: So, what's your initial orders that you put in for post intubation management?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is what we were alluding to there is the illusion of success. So, you get a patient intubated right after intubation it could potentially be the most dangerous time for that patient. And so we highly, highly recommend staying in the room as long as possible after intubation. I'd recommend at least five minutes, probably on the order of 10 minutes. And what you're looking for there is a post-intubation hypotension specifically. But you could also see other things like if they're desaturating, maybe they had a pneumothorax, maybe you're right main stemmed. So I'm lingering around waiting on chest x-ray to show up, really keeping a close eye on that blood pressure titrating pressures as needed definitely and there are MMs and case reports about
0: patients who had an undetected esophageal intubation but had plenty of reserve and so their stats were 100 percent after the intubation but everybody walks out of the room and you miss it i think it's great to stay in the room we have computers in all rooms so you can stick around get the work done that you need and make sure that you're present if the patient
1: has any unsafe conditions post intubation back to your question So what am I doing orders-wise right after we intubate the patient? I'm throwing the vent order set in. I'm talking with the RT about what our first ventilator setting should be depending on what was going on with the patient prior to intubating. I'm talking with the nurse about what our pain agitation delirium strategy is going forward. I'm ordering a chest x-ray and an ABG. The ABG is going to be done about an hour after intubation. Well, there you
0: have it. That's our first POMCAST Little. Just to summarize for you, step one decide whether or not the patient needs to be intubated. Hopefully sooner rather than later so you can have safer intubating conditions. You need to prepare and you need to get the whole team together so they know what the plan is. You can start pre-oxygenating the patient and make sure that you're using adjuncts to your non-rebreather because it's not 100% oxygen like you may think it is. You start to plan and get the whole team on board with what you're doing, and then call your intubator. Make sure you ask them what drugs they wanna use so that you're ready when they arrive. Run through your checklist or your flow. We use made, but you can use whatever you like. And after the patient's intubated, remember, it's not all safe. You have to stay in the room to make sure there's no post-intubation decompensation, specifically hypotension. Go ahead and throw your orders in on the computer in the room, and make sure that the patient gets what they need. Hope you enjoyed the poem cast little. Until next time, keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading.